0: Good morning, Reforming. Well, today we have church camp, this weekend. And because of that, you are watching at Reforming House a recording of the same sermon that is being preached at church camp. This sermon is the the end, the culmination of everything that we are talking about together as a church as we look deep into the theme of belonging and all the wonderful implications of that, what it means to belong what it means to then belong in welcoming others to belong, as well as serving in our belonging together as a church. So today, you've heard already the Bible readings from Romans 12 and Romans 15. There were passages also we looked at at camp on our Saturday sessions. For this morning, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you received a service sheet in coming in this morning to Reforming House, you'll see that on page Five, there is an outline of the sermon and Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25 is our Bible reading this morning that I'm going to read uh, for us. So please turn to Hebrews 10 in your Bibles. If you're new to the Bible, don't be afraid to use the contents page. That's what it's for. It's a wonderful tool. And if you don't own a Bible, that church Bible that you've got in your hand, uh, you can take that home. That's our gift to you. So if you are new visiting with us this morning, uh, may you be feel welcomed here at Reforming Church and the rest of us are at camp but there are some of us here at Reforming House and we want to welcome you. Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you speak to us. And that as you speak to us, you show us our savior, our gatherer. Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we look to Jesus now in Hebrews 10, as we see him who saves and gathers, help us to see how wonderful and profound it is to belong. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've asked this question before at Reforming Church. It's a great question to ask, not just once in a sermon, not just this weekend of church camp or today on this church camp Sunday, but we want to ask it again and again because particularly new people to our church are asking this question again and again. And when I say new people, I mean not just new people that are Christians and they will be asking this question. We've all asked this question as perhaps we've been new to reforming church at some stage in our lives, but also those who are new to Christianity those who are new to Christ, those who are new to the good news of Jesus, the gospel. This is the question a lot of people ask. We ask it perhaps out loud, but most likely in the back of our minds we're asking, do I belong here? Do I belong here? For someone new to church, new to our church, this is a key question. Now, For our church and for our church camp, we're particularly looking at the vision of our church and what it means to belong, what it means to then be welcoming and serving others, not just in a team of our church or a team ministry, but our whole church as a whole ministry team. And as we do that, Ryan Smith, one of our elders who also oversees our teams and training ministry, has written a welcoming booklet. And I think it's fantastic, a welcoming handbook. And I actually want to quote from it just now because this is really important. Um, This is really important when it comes to that question of, do I belong here? We read in this booklet, and I hope you can see it somewhere, it's going to be online on our website, but printed off at Reforming House as well. This is what we read. It is said that the most key period for welcoming is the 30 seconds to a minute after the service. If a newcomer is not engaged and made to feel welcome during this time, they will almost certainly leave and never return. It is therefore imperative that each member of our team identifies the newcomer before this moment and intentionally makes the effort to engage with them and make them feel welcome as soon as the service concludes. Get to know people and introduce them to someone else from our church. Isn't that true? Have you ever been to a church or anywhere really there's a gathering of people that if no one comes to speak with you within a minute, 30 seconds, perhaps at worst three minutes... Why would you go back? If you come to a church, a church that really ought to be known for welcoming people and no one talks with you in that short period of time, you would want to know, you'd ask the question, do I belong here? At the end of that welcoming booklet, uh, we read this, Ryan writes this, and I love it, so I'm going to quote it again. I put it to you that newcomers will be willing... To overlook a sermon that's not the sharpest. That's a relief for preachers, isn't it? To overlook music with a few mistakes. To overlook sound or screen issues or even sub-optimal coffee. We've got great coffee. But newcomers will overlook that, is Ryan's point. But what they will absolutely... Not forgive is a bunch of people so consumed with themselves that they don't make the simplest effort to talk to someone new and make them feel welcome. That's not Christ-like. And so it must never be the culture of our church. I want to say amen and amen. That must never be the culture of our church. Reforming the key question people are asking themselves this, is do I belong here? We've all asked it and, and and as we ask it, we're really asking, who do I belong to? Do I belong to these people? Do I belong to the God that they worship, that they know? Well, God speaks to us in his word and first and foremost, we've seen that at camp and here from his word today, we're in Hebrews 10 and what we need to see straight up from the beginning of Hebrews 10 verses 9 into 25 is this, it's the first point on the outline, we need to see this. We have been, we have been bought by blood-bought righteousness of Christ. We have blood-bought boldness, therefore, to come to God. We have blood-bought boldness. We see here in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest of the house of God, you see this language? It's blood-bought boldness we have that we can actually now come to God. We read in this passage the word therefore, and whenever we see this word, we have to ask, of course, what is the therefore there for? And here in verse 19, it actually brings everything that's gone before In the latter part of this letter, this this letter written by, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but it's actually more than a letter, it's a sermon, it's an exhortation, the writer writes. And in this exhortation, in this latter part of this exhortation, the writer of the Hebrews writes, therefore, bringing all home for us, he writes this, Jesus Christ died for our sin on the cross. He did so once for sin. He sat down, his work is finished. So we read verse 18, there's no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, if that's what's happened for us, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of what Jesus has done for us, we now have all the confidence in the universe to enter into God's presence by the blood of Christ. We have blood bought boldness. We have the gospel. I want you to notice here that in, in these verses is all the language of the temple. All the language of the Old Testament temple and prefab that, the tabernacle, all the language. We have the temple language here, the holy places, the curtain, the house of God. And we see that Jesus, in verse 20, has opened a new and living way so that we can now have friendship with God, relationship, even fellowship with him by Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. When we remember the Lord's Supper as a church, we're not just undertaking some sort of ceremony once a month. No, something real is happening there. We are remembering, we are celebrating that Christ is really with us by his spirit and that we really are in God's presence. We are already in God's presence because of what Jesus has done. And this means we don't come into God's presence because, well, the worship leader or the music leader or the service leader or the preacher, none of those people bring us into God's presence. We don't come into God's presence because today you walked into reforming house and there's those glass doors and you walked through the glass doors and then then you walked into kind of the outer court and you came to the Holy of Holies, uh, which is the the cafe area, and then all of a sudden you're, you're right in God's presence. No, we're not in God's presence even when we start singing all of a sudden we're in God's presence, none of those things brings us into God's presence. The only thing, the only one who brings us into God's presence is Jesus. Jesus does, by his blood shed on the cross. The temple, curtain, torn in two. We are now in his presence. We are in God's presence right now, where you are. And so we see the all of life, all of your life, if you trust in Jesus, all of your life is worship. We see this in Romans 12, one of our church camp passages. We see that all of life on our daily life, from Monday to Saturday, is our sent worship. And how do we get sent for worship in our daily life? Well, we have gathered worship, always in God's presence, but we either sent or gathered, and we gather and worship together as God's people gathered. We worship the one. The Lord Jesus, who brings us into God's presence by his blood. Which means, secondly, we now have a series of, um, well, dad joke preachers, and that can be me, would say it's actually, it's the salad section of Hebrews. Why? Because it's full of lettuce. Let us draw near. Let us hold on to our hope. Let us stir up. So here we come to the lettuce section, the, the, the second uh, part of the sermon outline. Let us draw near, verse 22. Have a look in Hebrews ten twenty-two. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. There are three exhortations that flow in verse 22. Three exhortations that flow knowing the gospel. Because we've got blood-bought boldness, here's the first one. This, let us draw near. Let us draw near. You see, if one of the confusions that the writer of the Hebrews needs to write uh, toward and and to clear up is not only does Jesus only bring us into God's presence, let's clear that one up, but secondly, another confusion is we often feel like, particularly those who are getting to know God for the first time, but even seasoned saints feel this, we feel like, well, um, I'm not that great. I've got a lot of wrong in my life a lot of bad things I've done, some baggage, perhaps some history that I know God would not like. I've not loved him, I've not loved others. And that means that we we feel it, right? We feel shame. Even our society that wants to talk not about sin, but there's a real sense of shame. And how do we know this? Because our society spends most of its time either uh, boasting in things or shaming on things. We name and shame people all the time. We know what shame is like. We know how to use it. We particularly know what shame feels like for ourselves. And when it comes to that shame, when we think about God, it can be for us that we think, well, I've got shame in my life, therefore I need to clean up my life before I can come back to God. It can be that's perhaps you if you're connecting back to God for the first time in your life, or perhaps it's... Perhaps the seasoned Christian who just thinks, I need to clean my life up first before I can get back to church. I've been away, I've been away from God, I need to clean my life up first. But I want you to see this. The writer of Hebrews wants you to see this. Verse 22 exists because of you. If that's what you feel, if that's what you think, hear this gentle, beautiful, loving correction. It's not that you clean your life up to come back to God. No, no, no. You come to him as messed up as you are, as shame-filled as you are, and he cleans you. You don't need to come near to him hoping that you've done a good enough job to kind of impress him and get you to notice you. He already notices you. He comes towards you to clean you. This is good news. You see, when it comes to church then, Christians don't gather... Christians don't gather to, to, to kind of come along and impress one another of how good they are or, or how much their life is sorted out. We actually gather more like we're gathering at a hospital, at an ED, at the emergency department. We gather more like that, as wounded and as messy as we are, and we come to get care, prayer, and draw near to the one who cleanses us from all our sins. This is blood-bought boldness in real time, drawing near. And it means as we do so, we can draw near because we can continue to hold on to hope. So here's the next lettuce. let us hold on to our hope. Being a Christian is life-changing. See, we have assured hope forever. Not just the kind of hope that says, well, you know, I hope, I hope that next week will get better. I hope that my life will be better in 10 years. I I hope to have sorted that out. No, it's not that kind of hope. It's, It's an actual real hope you can hold on to kind of hope. With all the hardships we have in life, even momentarily, we have a radically different hope because it is a hope that has been given to us by Jesus and can't be taken away, therefore. Look in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We don't really face persecution in Australia, depending on what people want to define as persecution. But obviously in the last few weeks and things we've seen is we face pressure. It's another sort of P word, isn't it? It's like a peer pressure. You thought peer pressure was just for high school. Peer pressure exists throughout all our lives. So whilst we might not be beaten necessarily or imprisoned necessarily for being a Christian in Australia, we know it exists, there is a pressure because we're Christian in Australia. It's like when you're sitting in a circle of your friends and they find out that secret that you never want them to find out. And they find it out, and they say, what? Are, are, Are you like a Christian? And as we do that, as we experience that, it would be easy for us to waver a little bit, wouldn't it? We all feel that. I mean, we all feel it, and saints through the ages have felt it. Christians throughout the ages have felt that pressure of, do I own up to knowing Christ or not? case in point, the Apostle Peter, that disciple of Jesus who denied Jesus or look throughout church history, those who wavered. This is why this verse is written, friends. It's not written as a scolding, it's written as a comfort. We can read this verse and be encouraged. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. why? Because I'm not because I'm better at not wavering than someone else, or because I'm good at not wavering? No. Look at the reason. Look at the connecting word. For. For. Not because of me, not because of you, for he who promised is faithful. Because he who promised is faithful. The Bible gives us great hope for us wavering warriors. And helps us to hold on to hope because Jesus holds on to us even when we feel like letting go. And Jesus finally does that. He does it through his spirit, but also he does it through his spirit-filled church. And so we see that Jesus used his church to stir people up. It's the last lettuce of this particular passage. Let us stir up. Let us stir up. Now, when we hear stir up, we can conjure up images in our minds of, you know, someone with a spoon, you know, that that stirrer. You know, we've all got that person in our family, perhaps it's Uncle Bruce, perhaps it's you, that likes to stir people up. And I think Australians, characteristically, that's kind of our culture, isn't it? We're a bunch of stirrers, we can stir each other up and egg each other on. And we can be pretty good at it, or sometimes pretty bad at it, because what we miss sometimes is as we stir people up and perhaps tease and, and, and poke, we even poke fun, sometimes we actually hurt people. But this stirring up is not meant to hurt people. Not even as we stir them up to love and good works, it's not meant to be kind of a scolding stirring either. It's not meant to be kind of stir you up because you haven't been doing it good enough. It's not that kind of stirring up either. I want you to look carefully, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up others to love and good works. Sometimes we see in, um, in Christian world, in Protestant world, we see good works as bad. You know, like, oh no, not good works. But good works are only bad if you're trying to get saved by them. Remember, you're trying to clean your life up yourself by good works? Well, that's bad. That's not how you get saved. Because remember, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, works don't save us. No, Jesus saves us. We've already seen that in Hebrews 10. But works, good works, will follow those who are saved, they'll be a natural outflow of our lives. So those who are saved and gathered as Jesus' people, his church, are to stir up each other to love and good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 follows, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our works, we're saved for good works. And so we spur each other on towards this. And what does that spurring each other on, what does that stirring each other up look like? We read in verse 24, it's to love and good works. What does that look like? What does it mean to love and good works? What will that look like for us? Well, verse 25 tells us where fundamentally the foundation of this is. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice this, not neglecting to meet together. Now you could think, well, how, what, what is meeting together, like getting together as a church every Sunday, what's that got to do with good works? What's that got to do with good works? What's that got to do with serving the poor, serving the community? We've looked at serving the community and serving the church at church camp in our sessions on Saturday. But what's this got to do with love and good works? What's it got to do with Monday to Saturday? In a word, everything. We're not going to be equipped and encouraged to love and serve our community, be that serving the poor, serving a neighbor, making a difference on the uh, places of social circles we serve in or workplaces we serve in. We're not going to be able to do that unless we're encouraged and equipped by gathering together to stir each other up to do that. We need one another, friends. We need to gather together in community for that end. It's why that you could say that the three words that summarize us as a church are Christ, we worship Him, community, we gather together in His name, and then compassion going out and serving the weak with compassion, serving the crowds, making disciples, sharing the gospel with those who need to hear about Jesus and serving the community, serving the poor. We do that because we're encouraged and equipped by stirring people up together in our gatherings on Sunday. So friends, who do we belong to? We belong in this way, therefore, to Jesus and his church. Now, I think we often get, yes, we belong to Jesus because we have blood, bought boldness, we can draw near, hold on to hope. But this last bit, let us stir up. What's, what's it mean to belong to Jesus and his church? Well, three things I think are important here to see. Firstly, belonging to Jesus and his church, belonging to church, a local church, actually embodies our belonging to Christ. Christians belong to Jesus and therefore we belong to one another. To own the name of Christ, to be a Christian, is to belong to Christ. And Christ died not just for individuals, he does that, but he dies for his church. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Ephesians 5 describes marriage even, which we've seen in Genesis, is actually a mystery that illustrates really Christ and the church. Jesus dies for his church. Gathered worship, therefore, helps us, encourages us, equips us, because we belong to Jesus, Jesus equips us in gathered worship. Jesus equips us in the gathering of the church. Donald S. Whitney wrote, There's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in meeting together with other believers. Which is why, as we've seen from Hebrews 10, when we realise that we belong to Jesus and his church, we actually want to belong, we want to be where Jesus' body is, the church. And secondly, that means we'll encourage. Encouragement is so needed in our day, friends. We live in discouraging days. We all have bad days and we can have good days. But if you're human like me, a human that loves Jesus, you and I, we need encouragement too. I do. Sometimes I have one of those days when it seems the darkness of unbelief, you know, it comes around and comes close like a cloud. When it seems like the enemies of Christ, the, the apathy of people to the gospel, the way in which the lost love being lost and don't want to hear about Jesus sometimes just gets me down. But you know what encourages me? It's not Netflix tonight. But it's seeing you here, one another here in the church. And the irony is, of course, I'm recording this, so I don't get to see you. But when I do get to see you face to face, not on a screen, that's when we're encouraged. That's when I'm encouraged. Seeing other Christians as part of Christ's church on a Sunday. David Mathis writes, corporate worship is the single most important means of grace and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy. Because no other means of grace, nothing else is like corporate worship that combines all three means of ongoing grace in his word, in prayer and in fellowship, that's what we see in the church. That's where we belong. And there's a third reason for belonging to the church and how it's so good for us. And that is it's it's part of what it means to be truly human. Being part of the church is being part of what it means to be truly human. This is written in our membership booklet. And the membership booklet, we read a bit of theology about church and, and why church and why church membership is important, and we think biblical, not a salvation issue, but we do think it's a biblical thing. And we see there that biblical theology outlines that whilst we have been created with for fellowship with God, we see in Genesis, sin scatters us, And it is God in Christ who gathers us. And what is he doing in Christ? The church is the only thing in this world that will last forever. Hear this again. The church is the only thing in this world that will last forever. The church is Jesus' new alternative community to the world. The church is where Jesus says and looks at it and says... I died for the church. That's my handiwork. The church is the place where we were created for fellowship with God. And while sin scatters us, to find our real rest in him, as Augustine says, is to actually find ourselves in Christ in the church. That's where we find ourselves truly human. That's what we're designed for. Now, of course, this doesn't mean if you're not going to church, you cease to be a human being. But what it means is God's intention for humans is to be gathered to him in fellowship with him. And the church is his restoration project in a broken world. So to be saved in Christ is to belong to Christ. It's also to belong to his church. This is a beautiful thing. So when Christians say, well, I don't need to go to church to be Christian, they miss out on something beautiful. They miss out on a beautiful experience of what Jesus is actually doing by his blood-bought righteousness for us, saving and gathering us. Church matters. Gathering matters. We go to church because Jesus died for us to be able to go together. So do you belong there? Do you belong here in his church? The body of Christ is not some abstract concept or distant dream. It's even closer than the church in Africa or Asia. It's at a church near you, It's right here when you look around and see those who are in Christ too. Yes, they're imperfect, but so are you. Yes, they've got messy lives, but so do you, so do I. Do I belong here, do you? The answer is yes, if you belong to Jesus. Church is a foretaste of heaven, it's where we heading it's actually what we look forward to we get a taste of it here and now in Revelation 21 verse 3 we read and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God do you belong here if not yet if you don't yet trust in Jesus if you don't yet know what it is to be blood-bought by his blood shed on the cross for you, to boldly be able to say, I know God in Christ, then this is the invitation for you. Draw near and have him clean up your life for you. Have him forgive you, restore you, and have real relationship with you. Now's the time to turn to him from your sin, repent and believe in Jesus, and be saved and also gathered. Gathered to his church to belong to a people that now you can call brothers and sisters, like the writer of Hebrews writes, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, family of Christ, family of God, therefore, church, let us do that. Church, let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has done what we could not do. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died on a cross for our sins, rose for our hope to bring us to you, God, and to bring us to one another, to bring us to church. We thank you so much we're here. We thank you so much we belong here. We thank you so much for Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.